Listener Production. The hole in the ozone layer is healing, but maybe not for much longer. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing. Today, Cosmos Magazine journalist Ellen Fidian takes us through one of the biggest environmental threats in history, the hole in the ozone layer. How science helped solve the problem, but now a new threat, thanks to humans, could screw things up yet again. Ellen, the last time I thought about the ozone layer was probably a long time ago. Like it totally used to be a thing. I feel in the past it used to come up all the time. What was all the fuss about with the ozone layer back in the day? The hole in the ozone layer was at one point in time, this huge environmental and existential threat. Just to clarify, it wasn't actually exactly a hole, but it's a good descriptor because it was this huge decline in the amount of ozone in the atmosphere, particularly over Antarctica. Mm -hmm. In the mid-1970s, we discovered that these things called human-made chlorofluorocarbons, or CFCs, could break down in the atmosphere. So CFCs are these gases that we use to make coolants for air conditioners and refrigerators, so the liquid that cools the air in both of those things. They're also used to make packing foams um, and deodorants and hairspray cans as well. We found that these CFCs can build up in the atmosphere and eventually end up in the stratosphere over Antarctica. And when they break down, they release chlorine that attacks the ozone layer, which is a pretty big deal because the ozone layer is what's protecting the Earth from really dangerous UV radiation. Which is bad because ozone essentially protects us from the most dangerous UV rays, which could potentially destroy life on Earth pretty efficiently. Yeah, ozone absorbs the really dangerous UV from hitting us. So probably without the ozone layer, life wouldn't have formed in the first place it became kind of the scientific community's most pressing environmental challenge. There was a lot of research poured into addressing the problem and carried on for decades. And it's probably worth driving this point home. The ozone hole has been shrinking for nearly 20 years now. It reached its peak size in 2006. And we don't see in environmental sciences dramatic improvements like that all that often. Sure. Earlier this year, a report by a UN-backed scientific assessment panel found that the ozone layer is actually on track to heal completely within 40 years, which is really great. It's kind of a really great example of how scientists and policymakers in industry can work together to solve this major environmental problem. Ellen, this seems like great news to me, but we're still very early on in the episode, and I just feel like <laughs> something's going to happen, Ellen. Yes, unfortunately, um, there is something that could potentially threaten the ozone layer in the meantime. It's rockets. Rockets? Specifically, the effect of rocket exhausts or rocket emissions in the atmosphere. Oh. And this is predicted to become more of a problem because in the past five years, we've gone from launching 90 rockets each year to 130. And it's a number that's just going up and up. How do rocket emissions potentially impact the ozone layer? The first thing I want to mention is that the researchers who are looking into this are saying that the current impact of rocket launches on the ozone layer is probably pretty small. 
as are the emissions that are coming from the rockets. And that's why you might not hear a lot about this, because people aren't really super worried about the environmental impacts of rockets. It's not a big deal yet. Sure. But (laughs) there is potential for this to become a much bigger problem as lots and lots of countries and companies are scaling up their space programs. Okay, sure. That makes sense. So there is a bit of science into what could happen in the atmosphere. We know that rocket fuel emissions include a whole bunch of different dangerous chemicals. There's stuff like black carbon, which is soot. That's like the powdery stuff that comes out of chimneys. There's alumina or aluminium oxide. There are nitrogen oxides. There's chlorine, which I mentioned earlier when I was talking about CFCs. In total, they also emit around six kilotons of water vapor per year and about 10 kilotons of carbon dioxide per year. So to put that in sort of an emissions context, a kiloton is a thousand tons. 10 kilotons is equivalent to the carbon footprint of about 650 Australians in one year. So can you put this into context for us? In the grand scheme of things, how serious is this? In terms of global warming and greenhouse gas emissions, it's really pretty small. Okay. So, for example, small island nations like, say, Tonga, they emit maybe 150,000 tonnes per year. So that's 150 times more than what we're talking about rockets are doing. If we compare that against, say, Australia, that's 500 million tonnes of CO2 per year, thereabouts. Right. And then the global aviation industry, which we compare rockets to a lot, That's about a billion tonnes of CO2 each year. So that's literally a million times the size of what the rockets are currently doing. So compared to that, the rockets aren't that big. But we know that rocket emissions could potentially damage the ozone layer and they also have this warming effect so they can heat the planet as well. And there's also research that suggests that when these gases and particles are emitted much higher in the atmosphere, as they are if it's a rocket that's emitting them, they can have very different effects. So there's this whole soup of different things happening up there. It's really kind of complicated science to unpick. Mm -hmm. Some of these emissions are going to deplete ozone. Some of them are actually going to increase the amount of ozone. Okay. Some of them are going to have different effects depending on the temperature. They might decrease or increase ozone, and some actually manipulate the temperature in the stratosphere. So there's a lot of things going on. While the overall effect is probably going to be negative, it's really hard to unpick all of that. Yeah, that's a veritable smorgasbord of effects right up there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just for an example, it's not heavily peer-reviewed, but there's a bit of research that suggests that black carbon, so that soot in the upper atmosphere from rocket launches, could be 500 times more warming than soot emitted at ground level because of the way that it absorbs heat in the upper atmosphere. Wow. Plus, there are new rocket fuels popping up all over the place because there's so much research and development going into rocket launches at the moment, and each fuel is going to have different effects. So we really, really need to do more research before we can definitively say that these are the actual effects that rocket launches are going to cause to the ozone layer. We do know generally overall that it's not great. So if we take a look at who is behind these rocket launches, who are the main culprits? So there's obviously national space agencies like NASA, the European Space Agency, the Russians and Japan, they've all got their own rocket programs. But another element of this 
is that small pool of billionaires who are super vocal about how great rockets are and how we're all kind of headed for the stars. So the private space sector is getting a lot of attention at the moment. You've probably heard the names Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk before. Sure have. (laughs) They've all gone on little space tourism jaunts themselves, so these leisure space flights. Yep. The space tourism industry is predicted to get really big by 2030. Some estimates say it could be about $8 billion. And that's not just leisure flights, but things like going from Sydney to London in 90 minutes in a rocket. Yep. Famously, these people are fairly anti-regulation with all of this stuff, rockets included, because regulation interferes with their profits. Sure. Circling back to the emissions, the rocket industry is seen by some researchers as a charismatic industry. So that basically means that there's a lot of hype around it and it's moving ahead really quickly without considering its impacts. The good news is that there are still relatively few rocket launches and almost definitely solutions to this ozone depletion based on the fuel that they use and the additives in it. So if we do the science now, we can probably regulate the industry in its infancy. So Ellen, you're saying if we can get in early before a rocket industry really booms and potentially regulate it before we send more up there and in turn see greater rocket emissions, what do you think the future is looking like for the ozone layer then? The good news is that after the scare in the 1980s, the ozone layer has become one of the most closely watched things on Earth by scientists. So it should be really easy to see the effects of rockets. We just need to be able to fund the research. There are calls from some researchers for stratospheric and ozone effects to be included on rockets' environmental impact statements, along with a range of other actions that the space industry and the ozone research community could take to make launches more sustainable. The other point I want to make is that there are some other benefits that come from these rocket launches. They're not an inherently bad thing. So the Earth monitoring satellites is a massive thing that gives us so much of the data that we use to track climate change in the first place and ozone as well. And according to the Australian Space Agency, there's a whole bunch of other benefits as well, like communications technology, scientific exploration. But so far as disrupting the ozone layer from healing, I think we really have to learn more about what these exhaust fumes are doing and what fuels companies are going to use. So from there, we can start to regulate it in a way that still lets lots of rockets go up, but doesn't harm the ozone layer. The thing that I think is really important about the ozone layer is that it's a real environmental success story. The ozone treaties are the only environmental treaties in the world that every single country has signed on to. So it would be a real shame to lose that progress now just because we're charging into this new industry without looking ahead of ourselves. Ellen Fidian is a science journalist for Cosmos magazine. You can read more of Ellen's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. Also, thanks to Manuela Calari, whose reporting helped make this episode. If you're a fan of the show, don't forget to subscribe. You can download the Listener app now to listen for free. Search The Science Briefing. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time. (laughs) 